I believe this, that when you and I declare the word of the Lord over our situation, the situation gets smaller and our God gets greater. That is what makes the difference. That is what makes the difference in a family. That's what makes the difference in someone's heart, in someone's home. When our God becomes greater than our situation. So would you stand today? I want to revisit the verse of scripture that we read yesterday. I want to look at it again so that God will give you fresh eyes for, for his word. Matthew chapter 22 verse 14. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 22 verse 14. We want to welcome everyone that is watching either online or at a different campus. This is the verse of scripture we're studying. Matthew 22 verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Come on, read it again with more enthusiasm. Ready, set, go. For many are called, but few are chosen. I don't think they could hear you again. For many are called, but few are chosen. That is a prophetic word. It's not just a word. It is a prophetic word. The reason why scripture is so powerful is because scripture is not dated by the generation in which it was written. Scripture transcends generation. The Bible says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. That is the reason why the same word that was, same scripture, same Bible, that was studied in the 1960s, still has an effect and an impact today in the 21st century, because scripture is not limited, nor can it be boxed into the generation for which it's spoken. It transcends generation, it transcends culture, it transcends any ethnic group, it transcends any social group, because scripture is in and of itself the very word, thought of God, and because God is eternal, the word of God is eternal. So when we read the Bible, we always have to read it with the right lens. Jesus is saying, many will be called, few will be chosen. And this is what I believe. Just because you're called doesn't mean you'll be chosen. Many people are called. I'm here to tell you this, that even the fact that you're listening, the fact that you're here, you, may, you need to know this. God called someone before he called you. Because God chose someone before He chose you. Most people who God is using right now, everyone say now. now. When you're being used by God in your now moment, it is so easy to think that you were always the one that God had selected. That you were always the one that He was looking for. That you were always the one that He had in mind. But the Bible says many are called. But only if you are chosen, know this today, that when you are in your now moment in ministry, some of you, you're going to know what I'm talking about. You may not know what, what I'm speaking about today, but just take it, receive it, and remember this. When you are in your now moment, and you are the one that people are looking for to speak to them, you are the one that people are calling for advice, Facebooking for advice, Twittering for advice and saying, will you call me? Will you text me back? 
and you're in your now moment. Say, my now moment. When you are in your now moment, always remember this, that many others were called, but you just happened to be chosen because you were willing to stick it out. You were willing to fight the good fight of faith. You were willing to say yes more times than others. You were willing to get back up after you were knocked down. Be careful when you're in your now moment to believe that you're in that moment because you were always the person. No, the reality is there was always someone before you. You just happened to be the one that just got back up again. Because one of the things that happens when you're in your now moment is you're so tempted to believe that you were always the one. The reality is you were chosen because you chose to be the one. And every day you choose to be the one. Every day you choose by how you handle your parents. Every day you choose by how you handle the staff. Every day you choose by the way you treat your friends. Every day you choose by the way you treat your dorm. Every day you choose by whether your bed is made or your bed is on me. Every day you choose whether you clean the sink or you didn't clean the sink. Every day you choose by whether you clean the kitchen or you didn't clean the kitchen. Every day you choose by whether you did your laundry or you didn't do your laundry. But you can also choose by deciding to clean the kitchen for someone else. By doing someone else's laundry. By picking up the door. Come on, somebody. God always looks for someone who is willing to be chosen. As I continue my conversation with you about David's life, I want to talk to you today about the drama of discovering your destiny. Say this, everyone wants to arrive, but few people want to take the trip. Come on, somebody clap because you're about to hear a word. You may be seated today. I want to encourage you today to do something very unique and special. I want to ask you to take out a piece of paper. I want you to, to take notes today. I want you to write the thoughts down that I'm going to share with you. But I also want you to write down what the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. How many of you know that it is important to take notes. But I want to share this with you over the years of taking notes, over the years of going to conferences, over the years of hearing lecturers, over the years of hearing preachers, I've discovered this. Note-taking is one of the most spiritual acts and spiritual things, spiritual disciplines you can do. In an environment like this, where the anointing of God is present, things that will be said today will transcend this moment of your life. The Bible says in the book of Revelations continually, anyone who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The reason why that was said over and over again is because when the Spirit speaks, it transcends the moment. And when you're in the moment with the Holy Spirit and when He is speaking to you like He is today, it is so tempting, it's so 
easy to say, well, I'll get the tape, or, or I gotta hear that again, or I'll watch that again. And yet the Holy Spirit will have you write something down. Because there is a voice within my voice that will speak to you. And if your ear is ready to hear what the Spirit is saying to your life, it will accelerate your destiny. Most people don't realize that their destiny can be accelerated if they're willing to hear what the Spirit is saying. Mark chapter 4. The Bible says, He who hears more will be spoken. That on the basis and on the ability for you to hear is God will determine whether or not He will continue to speak to you. Our hearing is so important, but also the scribe. Everyone say the scribe. You and I have benefited from the work of a scribe. See, when you and I read scripture today, and you read the words of Jeremiah, the words of Isaiah, know this today, that these words were written from the pen, from the hand of a scribe. A scribe was a person whose primary gifting was to write the things down that the prophet would say. That every word would be written down in the spirit and in the vernacular from which it was spoken. Today, I'm going to share with you five things about discovering the drama of your destiny from the life of David. So I'm going to need you to go to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I want to continue to talk to you about David's life. Because out of all the biblical characters, I have to believe that David's life was the most dramatic. Would you agree? Now listen people, I'm telling you. David's life was extremely dramatic. Let me give you some insights why. Outside of the life of Joseph, David is one of the few leaders that God chronologically writes the events of his life down. Apart from Joseph, who we believe was 17 years old when he took on the coat of favor, how many of you know when you have the coat of favor, you're going to draw a lot of haters? The Bible tells us that David's life and Joseph's life were penned with such accuracy And I want to say this about your life. Even as I'm speaking to you today, those that are watching, those those that are present, your life is so important to God. Because in your life, in your destiny, there are multitudes of people that are linked to the kingdom of God. The problem is, we don't see that today. Because all we see is the trauma at home. All we see is the trauma with our girlfriend, the trauma with our boyfriend, the trauma with our family, the trauma with our parents, the trauma of what's going on in our present life. So we don't see the big picture. Your life is like a mosaic. Your life is like a puzzle. Every piece is so important. There is, there is, there are no mistakes with God. When I wrote the book, The Heart Revolution, the first four chapters are dedicated to pain. 
I talk about the pain to become. I talk about finding the purpose in your pain. Most people run from pain. And they avoid pain. Why do people end up doing drugs? We're avoiding some form of pain. Come on, somebody. I know I'm not talking to people that have done drugs, but maybe perhaps someone out there that is watching. <laughs> when a person does drugs, tonight, oh my goodness, tonight. Tonight I'm going to talk about finding the purpose in your pain. And it is going to blow your mind when I'm going to teach you from Genesis chapter 1. But let me explain this to you. And this is so important. Every one of us will go through drama to discover our destiny. And the, the drama doesn't end at a certain age. The drama continues. In fact, the higher you go and the further you go in your discovering of your destiny, the more drama comes into your life. So you have to become an expert at managing drama. And when you don't become an expert at managing drama, the very thing that was supposed to catapult you into your destiny becomes the very thing that sinks you in your situation. David was a man who knew drama. Yesterday we read that when David received the oil, everything changed in David's life. Let me explain to you. Most people think that was the only time David was anointed. In fact, David was anointed three times king. The first time David was anointed, we believe he was 17 years old. He was a shepherd boy. Chosen from all of his brothers. Oil was poured on him. But that wasn't the only time David was anointed. David was anointed a second time when he became king over Israel. However, excuse me, king over Judah. David knew that the kingdom was divided when he became king. And when Saul died, the kingdom was divided from David. So there were people that loved Saul that would not go to David. And there were people that loved David that would not continue in Saul's camp. So when David was 17, pick up on this, he was anointed once. When David was 30 years old, he was anointed a second time. Jesus was a, Jesus at 30 came into his ministry. Joseph at 30 came into his primary ministry. So all of David's 20s were preparation for what God was going to do in his 30s. Numbers chapter 1 starts by saying, Everyone who is of the age of 20 years and older must be registered for war. Because when you turn 20, you enter into the age of warfare. 20 is the age of warfare in the Bible. In the Old Testament, you, at 20 years old, you had to register to be part of the army. And this is what I believe. I'm going to veer a little bit from my notes and obey the Holy Ghost right now and say this to you. I believe when you are in your teens, you enter into an age of dependence. You depend on a ride to school. You depend on your teachers to teach you. You depend on everyone to pay your rent, to clean your clothes, to, to give you a place to stay. But how many of you know something happens when you get out of high school? It's called independence. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Watch this. 
When you're in your teens, you are dependent on everyone. They tell you what time to go to school. They tell you what time to wake up. They tell you if you don't do your, if you don't go to class, you're going to detention. And you can't wait to the day that you get to do what you want to do. And you live for the day that you're 18 or 20 where you can be independent. Say independent. And isn't it funny when you're independent? That is when more chaos happens in your life. Isn't it funny? The very thing that you desire becomes the very thing that launches you into warfare. Now that you have time to do what you want to do, you have more issues relationally. You have more issues sexually. You have more issues physically. Because independence was never meant for you to stay there. It was meant for you to learn one thing. And it is the third place. Now I'm going to share this with you. In order for a 20-something to go somewhere, in order for a 20-something to succeed, they must move from dependence on their parents to independence to now interdependence. Let me explain this to you. Most 20-year-olds get stuck with the spirit of independence. And life begins to ask them to become interdependent. Let me tell you what interdependent means. That means that you have the ability to do it on your own, but you choose to do it with someone else. You choose to answer to someone else. You choose to submit to someone else. Because in your 20s, you have the right to be independent. You have the right to get your own apartment. You have the right to get your own car. You have the right to get your own holiday. Well, that means your own job. Come on, somebody. You have the right to do what you want to do. But you will never enter into your full destiny until you move from interdependence, excuse me, independence to interdependence. Interdependence means I will purposely submit myself to someone who will hold me accountable for my time, for my independence. And I will yield my authority and I will yield the authority of my life to someone else and I will give them permission to speak into my life. When a 20-year-old makes that decision, you are ready to be chosen. So, let me explain this to you. Because you want the oil, let me explain this to you. Most people want to be greatly used by God, but they don't want the responsibility of being used by God. They want what it brings, but they don't want the drama that it takes to sustain it. But I want to teach you something, five things about David's life that are supernatural. Read this with me in verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 6, chapter 5, excuse me. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and we are your flesh. Also in the past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. The Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore, all of the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. He was king already because he was anointed over Judah first. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. 
In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years. Say seven years. In six months. In Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. So watch this. For David's 17 and he was anointed the first time. David is 30 and he is anointed the second time king over Judah. Now David is how old? 37 years old. And he's about to be anointed a third time now as the king over Israel and the king over Judah. Let me explain the significance of this to you. Most people don't see ministry as a journey. They see it as a monument to attain. Ministry never ends. Ministry is a journey. And when people see ministry as a journey, then they don't get caught up on the destination. A lot of leaders have destination disease. And this is what it is. Destination disease is when you become frustrated because you don't see what you want to see right now. And you postpone the joy of your destiny until you, real, until you arrive to a destination. Well, until I can lead worship, I'm not happy. Until I get to preach, I'm not happy. Until I start a church, I'm not happy. Until I get married, I'm not happy. Until I have kids, I'm not happy. Until I make an X amount of dollars, I'm not happy. Until these people respect me, I'm not happy. Until I get the respect of my friends, I'm not happy. Until my parents respect me, I'm not happy. Until they respect me, until you respect me, until someone else respects me, I am not happy. So they have destination. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, preach, preacher. See, when you want ministry, the number one thing you've got to guard against is destination disease. Because you will always feel, when you have destination disease, that you've never arrived. And you're always frustrated. You're frustrated with your family. You'll be frustrated with your friends. Because you'll always feel like I should be further. I should have more. And when you live that way, you make yourself miserable and everyone in your world miserable. Because you can't enjoy the journey. But not you. Oh my goodness, not you. Your school of urban missions. You're learning truth. You're learning righteousness. You're learning biblical principles that will make you thrive and not just survive in ministry. Oh my goodness, you go to SUM. You are destined for greatness. You've got a great calling on your life. You've got a great purpose on your life. Somebody give them a shout of praise. Come on. So watch this. Are you ready? Write these five things down and we're going to go through them one by one. How to discover your God-given destiny. Number one, value the anointing of God on your life. Value the anointing that is on your life. Number two, stay in obscurity until God calls for you. Stay in obscurity until God calls for you. Number three. Oh, should I slow down? Everyone say calmado. Say calmado. That means slow down in Spanish. Number one, what did I say? If you're going to discover your God-given destiny, number one, what did I say? Value the anointing of God on your life. 
Number two, stay in obscurity until God calls for you. I'm going to explain that to you. Number three, are you ready? Everyone say listo. That means ready in Spanish. Number three, live beyond the low expectations of others. You are going to have to learn to live beyond the low expectations of others. Not everyone is going to have high expectations for you. I told you yesterday, you are in an incubator here. Everyone gets a nice passing when they complain. Everyone believes in you here. But when you get off this campus and you go into real ministry, not everyone is going to celebrate you. So you're going to have to learn to live beyond the low expectations of others. Number four, are you ready? Listo, come on, say listo. Number four, overcome the lame and blind excuses in your life. Well, that's biblical, people. Everything that I'm teaching you is a verse-by-verse study of King David's life, and I'm going to go through it verse by verse with you. Number four, what did I say? Overcome the lame and blind excuses in your life. Number five. Are you ready? Are you ready? Never forget the purpose of your position. What gets more people in trouble in ministry is that they forget the purpose of their position. When you forget why you are where you are, you will begin to take liberties that do not belong to you. Instead of letting the anointing be on you, you'll start drinking the anointing. You'll start getting drunk on the anointing. So I'm going to break this down for you. Are you ready? Thank you. Are you ready? Look at verse 3. Therefore all the elders of Israel came, the Bible says, and they made a covenant with David before Hebron, and they anointed David king over Israel. One of the things that you realize about David, if you go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24, which way do you have to go? Go to the right. No, to the left. 1 Samuel chapter 24, quick. Let me show you this. When I talk to you about valuing the anointing of God on your life, let me give you the fastest way to value the anointing on your life. How many of you want to get the cliff notes on how to value the anointing on your life? Okay, let me teach you this. The fastest way to value the anointing of God on your life is valuing the anointing of God on others' lives. How you treat the anointed and appointed person in your life right now will have every, will determine whether or not God can increase the anointing on your life. Let me explain this to you. Every one of us has someone over us. No one is without a covering. How you value the person that is over you and the anointing on their life 
will determine if God can increase the anointing on your life. I want you to read this with me. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 5, it says, Now it happened. Everyone say, Now it happened. Afterward, that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. The Bible teaches David's in the cave. And he's way back in the cave. And he notices that Saul comes into the same cave. And as he is in the same cave as Saul, the king, all of his men say, David, this is your moment to kill your enemy. So David takes his sword and he goes to the king and the Holy Spirit stops him. And he says, you touch him in an inappropriate way, your ministry will be over. So David cuts the edge of his rope and his heart cuts him. The Holy Spirit teaches him the life lesson is, if you value the anointing on his life, then I will increase the anointing on your life. One of the things that you will always have to battle with is called over-familiarity. If you're not careful, you will become over-familiar with this school. You will become over-familiar with your professors. You will become over-familiar with the chancellor. You'll become over-familiar with the vision of SUM. You will become over-familiar with the impact that SUM is making. And you will begin to cut the anointing, cut the road of those that are over you without knowing that when you do that, you cut the flow of anointing over your life. David was able to reign and be the king over all of Israel because he passed the test. He valued the anointing on his life by valuing the anointing on his king's life. Everyone has a king over their life. Everyone has a queen over their life. Your parents are your king and queen. When you value who they are in your life, your, maybe your daddy rejected you. Maybe your daddy abandoned you. Maybe your mama left you for dead. But I've come to tell you, in your heart, I need you to say, that is still my mama. That is still my daddy. Thank God God is taking me up as my daddy. I could still honor the one that brought me into this world. Because I will not cut off my blessing. I will not cut off my anointing. Because I've been destined for greater things. Come on, somebody. Okay, no, 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 no. You ain't hearing me. Now I'm really talking to you. Huh? How you treat those that are above you in the office. It is so easy to walk into the office, to the cave of your boss. And start taking out the sword. It's so easy to walk into the cubicle of your overseer. To walk into their space. Start taking out your sword. I got a sword too. I got an anointing too. I mean, did you hear me preach on the street yesterday? You saw how God used me. So you start walking into the chancellor's office. You start walking into the ministry. You start walking into the executive offices like, like, 
<laughs> David teaches us. He says, I'm 30 now. I went through my 20s. I fought and fought and fought and fought. And now what I've learned is I'm going to value my anointing by valuing the anointing of the person above me. If you struggle to do that today, God's going to set you free. God's going to loose you. Because when you release honor, and you honor the anointing of the person ahead of you, that oil will always come to you. That is what makes the difference when you start your ministry. Many people start their ministries but they went to start their ministries. They weren't sent to start a ministry. And there is a big difference. There are people that will go do their thing, but they don't go with fresh oil. David said, I'm ready to be anointed king over Israel and Judah because I value what was on my life. Number two. The second thing you learn is David stayed in obscurity until God called for him. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over 7 years and 6 months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. Why is this significant? Let me explain this to you. When God was raising me up, when I was 17 years old, and I was the number one DJ in my city, I started using my turntables to do street preaching. My goodness, people were getting saved. But then I started noticing that all of a sudden, I wouldn't see God use me any further. And I started getting frustrated. Like, why is it, why don't they, don't they see, don't they know? Can't they, don't they recognize? Like, y'all need to recognize. Okay? I used to say things like, my goodness, I could preach. I can lead. I've got skills. I've got abilities. And all through my 20s, it was like God kept me on ice. In obscurity. In obscurity. Everywhere I would go, someone would, like today, how TJ was prophesied over. Everywhere I would go, someone would prophesy over me. And I'd get frustrated, like, well, when's it going to happen? Everyone say, when's it going to happen? And if you're not careful, you want to come out of obscurity before your time. You want to get married before your time. You want to date before your time. You want to have a relationship before your time. And it ain't time, but you want it to be your time. And God is saying you need to stay in obscurity until I call for you. Oh, you don't want to hear me today. Oh, you don't want to hear me today. You don't want to hear the preacher today. See, when you learn to stay in obscurity, this is what happens. God is able to mold you into the person that you were supposed to be. Let me explain this to you. Let me just read these verses to you. Psalm 78, 70. David, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens, tending sheep. Brought him to, the, to be the shepherd of his people. The Bible says he, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, skillfulness of hand. God took him from the sheep pens. The Bible says about Joshua, Exodus 33, 11. Someone needs to hear this. Inside the tent of the meeting, the Lord would speak face to face to Moses as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, 
the young man Joshua would remain in the tent after Moses left. Genesis chapter 40 verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then it came to pass at the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Let me explain something to you. Joseph was in prison. He wanted to get out of obscurity. So he said to the butler, hey, remember me when you get out. Remember, he said to the butler, when you get out of here, remember me because I gave you this dream. And the Bible says for two years, God said, really, Joseph? You mean to tell me your gift is going to get you out of this pit? You mean to tell me your singing ability, your charismatic skills, your ability on the guitar, your ability on the drums, your ability to teach is going to get you out of obscurity? God says, no, I'm going to put you on hold for two more years until you learn God is the one that calls you out of the pit, not your gift, not your calling, not your ability. Come on, somebody. Tell the person next to you, stay in obscurity. When you're in obscurity, right now you're in obscurity. See, I'm preaching to Sergio Delamora all over again. You're in that chair. Because I'm preaching to you. I remember someone preaching to me when I was in your chair. And I'm telling you, your moment's going to come. Stay in obscurity. Don't get out. Sometimes when you're working in the ministry, you feel like you have right to more. Like, I should be. My goodness, why don't they see? And all of a sudden, you want to make a move. Have you ever seen a guy get out of his lane because he wants to make something happen? He's doing really good. But all of a sudden, he, he, he's... He gets frustrated. Everyone's down, don't date, don't date. Hold on, hold on. And then all of a sudden, Jesse comes with her bag. And he's like, come on. All of a sudden, she all of a sudden she starts chasing Bozo instead of Boaz. Because you want to get yourself out of your pit. You want to get yourself out of your prison. You want to get yourself out of the situation that you're in. You want something to happen around you. And God says, it ain't time. Say it ain't time. Say it ain't time. Stay in obscurity, David teaches us. Stay where you are. When God needs you, He will call for you. You know why this is so important? Is because everybody wants to arrive, but no one wants to take the trip. As God starts using you in power, and you start laying hands, miracles start happening. As all of a sudden you start speaking, and demons start leaving people as you speak. As you walk around people, and people notice the anointing on your life, and just them being close to you causes a revolution in them, causes things to break off of them, causes their life to change. When that happens, remember what I'm telling you today. Value the anointing on your life. Stay in obscurity until God calls for you. But let me say this to you. You've got to learn to live beyond the low expectations of people. The Bible says that the inhabitants of the land spoke. Look at this verse. This is so powerful. 2 Samuel chapter 5, if you go back there. Let me read this to you. This Bible study that I'm teaching you will save you years in your destiny. 
Just because you're called doesn't mean you're going to be chosen. But I'm not talking to you anymore about being called. I'm talking to you once you've been chosen. Once you've been chosen, value what God's given you. Once you've been chosen, like David, stay in obscurity until God calls for you to come out. You're already called. You've already had the anointing. You've already been blessed. You've already been chosen. Everyone knows you've got it. But that doesn't mean it's your time. But number three, when you're chosen, you've got to learn to live beyond the low expectations of others. Because not everyone in your land is going to appreciate that you're there. Okay, you didn't even hear what I said. Oh my goodness, can I talk to you about this? When you, as long, read the Bible with me. Second Samuel chapter 5, it says, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. Who spoke to David saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. And their thinking was, David cannot come in here. Let me explain this to you. That is one of the most mysterious verses in the Bible. Let me explain this to you. Because you're already called and you're already chosen. Everyone say, I've been chosen. chosen. Now that you're chosen, let me explain this to you. When you walk into your land of destiny... Not everyone in that land is going to celebrate you. The Bible tells us the Jebusites held Jerusalem captive. Let me explain this to you. If you go back to the book of Numbers, if you go back to the book of Joshua, the land of the Jebusites was never conquered by Israel. It was unconquered territory. Though God gave it to the children of Israel, they never conquered it because Jerusalem, if you've ever been there, is set in such a unique position, it's not easy to get to. And the Bible says that when David sets up his palace, because let me explain this to you. A king would never be respected if he did not have his own palace. So the first thing that David does when he becomes the king of Israel and the king of Judah is he goes to Jerusalem to set up the city of David. Because you can only rename a city if you conquered it. You cannot rename your rival unless you conquer your rival. That's why when you learn in ministry, when you've been chosen, just because you're chosen doesn't mean you're going to conquer your land. You must take possession of it. But you must learn to live beyond the low expectations of people. The Bible says that the Jebusites said, David will never come into this place. So they begin to speak into the atmosphere of David's life, into his hearing. David, yes, you're a king of Israel. Yes, you're a king of Judah. But you will not come into this land and take this land. Though Israel had high expectations of him, David, unfortunately, had to learn to live beyond the low expectations of people who would not give up their land. Why am I saying this? Because you need to learn this. When you're chosen, not everyone's going to celebrate you. Not everyone's going to get excited about you. You're going to have to learn to fight spiritual battles. You're going to have to learn in your mind and heart to live beyond the low expectation of a friend, of a family member, of someone that you thought would celebrate you. And you're going to feel depressed and discouraged. Like, why don't they believe in me? They're not supposed to believe in you because God wants to teach you warfare. God wants to teach you how to win battles. God wants to teach you how to conquer what belongs to you. But you must conquer what at one time conquered you or else you will never enter into your Jerusalem. David has to live beyond the low expectations of people. How many times now that I've stepped in to 
where I'm supposed to be. How many times have people said, oh, you're a, you're a Mexican preacher. You're a Latin preacher. You're a gay preacher. You're one of those guys from the hood. How many times have I had a battle, the mentality of being Mexican-American, being a Cholo, being a Chicano, being someone of, of both cultures, and people try to limit me, tell me I can't get it done. But I've come to tell you, live beyond their expectations. Live beyond the Because the society that we're living in today will tell you people like you don't get to come into this club. People like you don't get to have this kind of success. People like you don't get to be in charge. People like you get to carry the bag. You get to park the car. You get to clean the house. But you don't get to own the house. I've come to tell you, live beyond them. Get what belongs to you. Well, I'm preaching it to you. And in the world of ministry, you've got to live beyond the low expectations of people. Because they're going to judge you on the outside. God said, man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. So don't be surprised if people look at you and go, really? Really? But on the inside of you, you've got to have a spiritual tenacity that says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in your world. Oh, oh, you know, when you've had one of the fastest growing churches in America, you begin to understand not everybody is excited about your success. When, when you begin to go 52 cities last year with my book, The Heart Revolution, 52 city book tour, never heard anyone do that in one year while pastoring a church that's growing. Not everyone was happy. People were not happy when they would see me on TBN month after month. They said, why is this boy from the hood? What would what, what they do with that Mexican up there? Because you're not used to seeing Latins in such prominent positions. Because they just don't think that Latins have the capacity to speak in a vernacular that can both challenge the college professor, but also the boy in the hood. But I've come to tell you, it's a new day, it's a new era, it's a new generation. Oh no, you don't even know what I'm talking about. So you have no idea, because see, you're not there yet. You don't know what it's like to step into a room and everyone that looks at you and says, Oh, you're not white like us? What are you doing here? I'm possessing my land, son. What you mean? And you don't want to hear me. No, no, no. You don't want to hear me. Because, because down here in the hood, it's all good. But when you step out of the wilderness into your promised land, there are big, mean giants with big teeth, with big tongues, with big attitudes, big prejudices, big jealousies. You don't want to hear me today. What you want me to tell you is that they're all going to love you. They ain't going to love you even though you can sing, sister. They ain't going to give it to you. No, brother. No, brother. You're going to have to fight for yours. You're going to have to say, I know you. You're a Jebusite. You don't want to hear the preacher today, huh? Shut the video off. Just shut the internet off. You don't want to hear this preacher. 
preacher today, why would you want to be messed with with this message? You want me to tell you everyone's going to celebrate you, huh? You're up from the hood. You've already got a strike against you, homie. I don't care what you're reading. You know, listen, listen. When I tell people I had a daughter at 15 years old, they go, oh my goodness, you? I said, yeah, but she also just graduated with a PhD. Well, not bad for an ex-cocaine guy, huh? 15 years old in the hood, got a girl pregnant, that's right. But I'm going to tell you, my friend, it is not how you start, it is how you finish. And this is what they did when they knew David was coming. They said, we're going to put 
his two ancestors who died lame, Jacob, in his leg he was lame, and Jacob's daddy, Isaac, died blind. So this is what they said. We will put the images of David's ancestors' failures, of their weaknesses, in front of David. So when David tries to take what belongs to him, he'll say, oh my goodness, I'm being reminded of my family's weakness. David steps up, and, and, and the Jebusites are trusting. Listen, they are trusting that when they put David's family's weaknesses in front of David, that David, that confidence in that one, David, that they're trusting that if they can get David to get a vision of his past failures, of his family's failures, of his family's weakness, of the fact that there ain't no daddy at all, that you will pour out your life. That people like you don't succeed. If, if I could just get an image in front of David, David won't come in here. In fact, they will repel him. But I've come to tell you, with the Spirit of the Lord, comes the When you are down with power from on high, behold, I shall give you to be able to preach this to you. But I'm telling you, Urban, missions, you're my family. I could have been one of you. I was one of you sitting up in that chair. No one would have thought that, that I would have one of the fastest growing churches, that I would have a book deal that took me around the world. No one would think that I would be on national television. Why Sergio? He's the boy in the hood. Hear me. It's our time. It's your time. But you must overcome your family's past. You must get up here. And listen, but you ain't just walking up here. When you walk up to this altar today, you are walking up to the gates of Jerusalem, the place of peace, the place of your promise, the place that you will call your palace. And when you know, listen, when you walk up, in your mind, you need to say, you know what, yeah, I was born out of wedlock of my parents, but I'm loved by God. Yeah, I had an addiction, but I'm set free by Jesus. Yes, I got weaknesses, but I'm strong. Yeah, I come from poverty, but I'm blessed with prosperity. If you're going to come up here, it's going to be because you're ready to roar.